If you're looking for a new way to support SideMission, check out W.GG, an energy supplement company trying to make a difference. Make sure to use code SIDEMISSION for 15% off your order. Thank you, Dubby, for sponsoring this episode, and we hope you enjoy. Welcome in to the newest episode of Side Mission. I, like always, am your host, Rusty Ellis, joined by just one of the boys, Matt Beck. Kyle's doing the production stuff tonight. He didn't want to be on this episode for reasons. So, uh, anyways, it's going to be a fun, fun episode anyways. We are finally talking about Starfield. Uh, Matt, safe to say, uh, one of the most hyped up Xbox releases in recent memory. I think of the last 10 years, I don't know that there's been a Microsoft exclusive, an Xbox exclusive that has been hyped up to the levels of Starfield. And full disclosure, just want to say, because and I, I want to get this out of the way now versus talking about it for 30 minutes later, uh, if you are coming into this review expecting one of t- the two bullshit extremes that the discourse around this game has been, with one side being, as one of my favorite YouTubers, Nicky Jake, once said, uh, with one side being that this game is a profound masterpiece that belongs in the fucking Smithsonian, or the other side of this game physically assaulted me, broke into my house, stole everything I owned, and then fucking shot me in the face. Um, if you're expecting either of those extremes, this is not the review for you. We are not going to do that. Uh, there's plenty of other dog shit ass reviews out there that you can go and listen to, and that'll either tear this game apart or we'll blow this game a new one. Uh, Matt, I think we're going to be pretty fair to this game, so let's go ahead and get right into it. Starfield... Right out the gate, I do want to say, I think the customization is some of the best in gaming. I think that that is something that this game really shines in, whether it's your character, your ship, or any of the many different outposts you can create. I think that there is a lot of customizability in this game, and I think it's a real strong point. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. especially with some of the scene that, uh, stuff I've seen people creating online. Um, I, was, I was scrolling uh, Twitter not too long ago, and I saw someone created a, a, a cheeseburger for their ship. I have I seen the it. Titanic. I have seen all kinds of different uh, ships from the Star Wars universe. So the customization with the ships is amazing. It's not something that I could ever see myself like really diving deep into. But I do appreciate the customization when it came to the character creator. I yes. actually, I was actually kind of making myself kind of look like how I am now, but a, you know, a little bit older, and more kept together because I got a neck beard right now, so it's not very attractive. <laughs> uh, so I definitely, uh, you know, set it up like I mean, that's that's one of the strongest things that I've noticed in Bethesda's games because I mean, Fallout Four was no slouch on the character creator uh, either. Um, so they definitely took a lot of time into that to like really personalize your character because you know this is a. This is a how many hour game? I don't know what they said yeah. about the. If you just focus on the main campaign, what they say like uh, 20, 25 hours, or is that? I think, and that's. Campaign? I think that's on the light end too. Like that's you know, if you if you just focus solely on that, you skip through a lot mm-hmm. of the dialogue. You don't really pay attention to the choices you're making. Yeah. You can probably yeah. finish the story in twenty hours, but I think a normal person that's reading what's going on and actually is like making choices based on what they want to see happen, I think yeah. this game probably falls a little bit closer between thirty and forty. Which I do want to say. Even though it's on Game Pass, I feel like if you paid for this game and and you're still playing it, I feel like you're going to get your money's worth out of this game. I feel like there's a lot of content here. Um, And that's an important thing. That's a really important thing in gaming. I think that, you know, especially with games being as expensive as they are, getting your money's worth at launch is such an important thing. And I feel like that of all the criticisms you could levy against this game, and believe me, there are plenty, and we will get to those. I don't feel like lack of content is the problem. I feel like... The fact that the game is 
as jam-packed as it is with a lot of stuff that you can do, whether it's missions that you can go on for the story, side quests you can find in any of the cities or any of the hub areas, um, just random exploration that you can do, which the game really excels in. I have to say that that's, that's something this game does really well, is that kind of, you know, you set off in one direction and you really don't know what you're going to find. And I think that that's, exactly. again, a really, really big, strong part of this game. Um, I do want to say that, you know, at least on console, because I'll just be honest with y'all about why Kyle's not here. Kyle played the PC version, um, and it was optimized very, very, very poorly. Uh, I don't want to hammer Bethesda too hard, like right now, too hard, because we are talking about the positives. Um, it is really, really not good. It's really, it's really disappointing. That's really, really not good. That's great English there, Rusty. Um, it's really disappointing that in 2023, Bethesda is still struggling with PC port optimization. And this is the only thing I'm going to say about this, but Todd Howard, you're never going to hear this. Whoever said that it was a good idea for you to say, offer the counter of, of you need to upgrade your PC, that is a very, very bad answer you are giving to your players. That's not a good answer. And you should not, if you were, if you decided on that answer, you ought to be embarrassed. If somebody told you to say that and you listen to them, you need to fire them. So back on it. That's why Kyle's not here. The game is really, really not good on PC. It doesn't run well unless you've got a five, $6,000 PC that you're willing to invest in. It doesn't really run well there, but that's why Kyle's not here. Um, I do want to say that on console, I think the game looks good considering it runs at 30 FPS for the most part. I think that it looks really good. I think the lighting is some of the best I've seen in gaming. I think the effects, especially when you when you do grab jumps in space, I think that those effects are really cool. And I think that for the most part, I didn't have a ton of issues with like pop in. The frame rate was a pretty steady 30 FPS for me. I think oh, yeah. that you yeah, you you kind of had the same thing happen, Matt. Yeah. Um and I feel like specifically for main characters, character models look pretty good. They look pretty yeah. good and they they you know, that's that's the quality I think I've come to expect from Bethesda. Now, there isn't a lot that looks too different from games like Fallout 4 and like Fallout 76. It does look like it's a very similar engine if maybe it's maybe been slightly upgraded. Um, but it's a, it's a solid-looking game. It's I think that people that have said that it looks bad, I think that that's just... You, you haven't played the game and looked at the game right. if you're saying the game looks bad. Um, Matt, what were some other positives that stuck out for you? So just just a couple of things that I I really liked. So honestly, the entirety the entirety of Constellation I think is a fantastic cast of characters that they have put in there. Um, so uh, Sarah especially, um, she's one of the first people actually that I had join me on my team. So she's you know in my ship and everything. And uh, one thing that I think is really cool is that you're you know these these companions and these people that you add to your crew you're able to you know romanticize them you know sometimes during conversation trees you're able to flirt with them so you know i've been kind of flirting it up with sarah because i was like you know she's kind of like the main character outside of just me because you know she's like the, the top dog at constellation um a couple of other things that I really your girlfriend like, you said that what's that <laughs> um it's it's a video game you know <laughs> it's not it's not it's not real but uh, a couple of other things that I really like is, you know, just when you're flying around in space, just regardless if you're going to a planet with, you know, the fast travel or if you're just, you know, freelancing it and just riding around, checking out what's out there. Uh, sometimes you'll encounter NPCs who will give you missions. One that I actually encountered that I thought was really hilarious was there was a tour bus 
And um, there's a bunch of people, you know, talking. They find out that you're the captain of the, of the ship. And they're like, you know, hey, we want to ask some questions. And, you know, they kind of go from just kind of like, oh, that was a weird question, to some like really personal ones. I actually like the fact that the uh, the uh, dialogue, the uh, conversation tree, uh, you know, has you able to um, just kind of answer questions in the way that you would in real life. Because some are just like, oh, yeah, I, I don't mind answering that. Or oh, that's kind of personal, so back off. Um, I think I also like the, um, the the ability that you get in this game. So I've, I haven't really been because, you know, every time you level up, you get a skill point. So I've been checking those out, trying to figure out what I want to base my character off on around. Uh, one thing I definitely wanted to have was better dialogue options, make it to where, you know, if I'm in a situation where I have to do the persuade option, um, I have a higher chance of, you know, actually exceeding or succeeding the um, the dialogue because sometimes it can go it can go south. Um, I actually have a tendency to kind of just um, quick save before I start the, the dialogue tree so I could go back to it. There was an example um, when I was on this planet and I was talking to these, uh, these bank robbers who had hostages. So, um, I, I kept doing it to, to the point where I could get the hostages out, have the bank robbers surrender with no one getting hurt. It took me a couple of tries because, uh, the, the persuasion thing is actually almost entirely RNG based. Like I've noticed that because sometimes I'll select the same option and sometimes it'll decrease my, my, uh, my chances of succeeding. So it's definitely something that you have to take a lot of time and effort into. And those are just a few of the things that I really like. That's, that's crazy because I don't remember having any option or any uh, problems or issues whenever I did that bank robbery mission. I feel like every mo every answer I chose, I ended up raising my meter a little bit, and I pretty talked them down pretty easily. I felt that's really interesting that we had different experiences, which is something that I've seen across the board for for this game is that you know there are some people that get an ability in the first two to three hours of the game that maybe another player doesn't get until they're 25, 30 hours into the game. So it really all does depend on what path you go down, your starting origin, the kind of character you want to make. And again, there's a lot of variety in that gameplay. I think that that's a real strength of this game. I do want to say, I think that the premise of the game is really interesting. You know, you start, you know, as this just this minor and you touch the, one of the, this piece of this random artifact that while you're down in some caves doing some mining work and you see this weird like vision that you almost see in memes of like people that are unlocking like 100% of their brain, like this is what they would see in their head. Like you, you, you see these crazy visions and you're, you can't, you're not quite sure what you make out, what to make, make out of them. And you end up forming, you know, end up joining up with constellation and you find more pieces of the artifact and you just unravel more and more of this mystery. I do want to say, I think that the story is interesting. I, I don't know that Bethesda did themselves a lot of favors early in this game. Um, there you've, you've probably heard by now that the game is a really slow starter and we can both, Matt, we can both pretty much confirm that that's true. Uh, oh, this yeah. game is, it's not going to grip you right away in most cases. It's absolutely a slow burn. Now, is it a slow burn on the same level of say a death stranding? I don't know. I think that they're pretty comparable. I think they both take a while to get going, but I think that once they do get going, there's a lot of intrigue there. Now, as far as the things that don't work, because we, we've said quite a few positives, and I think there are a lot of positives, and we can come back to some of them and talk about more. Matt, I don't know if there was more that you had to say, but uh, 
there are certainly no shortages of issues in this game. And I think that that slow start is just really the beginning of it. And there have been a lot of people that have defended it and have said, well, sure, the game is boring at the start if you focus on the main quest line. <clears throat> My response to that is, if the main quest line is why I'm bored, it sounds like Bethesda didn't write a compelling enough storyline and didn't give me enough reason to continue further than I did or didn't give me enough reason to want to pick the game up, to be honest with you, after we record this. Um, this has not been the most fun game to play really for the majority of my time playing it. The gameplay itself is kind of just okay. Um, a lot of people have called it Fallout in space, Skyrim in space. And to be completely honest, I feel like that is severely disrespectful to the gameplay of both of those games. Because Fallout 4, the last good Fallout game, because we don't acknowledge the existence of Fallout 76, um, Fallout, 4, <laughs> Fallout 4, Matt, it grips you within the first 5 to 10 minutes of the game starting because you watch the nuke go off. And then you, you know, you see the death yeah. of your 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 yeah. love interest. You see that your baby's taken away, whether it's a son or daughter, based on your choices. Um, well, actually, no, it's always a son. My bad. I'm stupid. But uh, yeah. you see that, and right away, the moment you escape the vault, your goal is to find your son. That is within the first 20 to 30 minutes of the game. Skyrim, yeah. again, you are attacked by a dragon 10 minutes into the game, if that, as your character is getting ready to be executed. So it worries me that Bethesda, it worries me from a story writing perspective that mm -hmm. that has been the general consensus I've seen the whole time is, oh, well, sure, you get bored if you follow the main quest line. Well, the main quest line is why I'm here. As a story, as someone who loves video game stories, that's why I'm here. Side quests are cool. Side missions are cool. Those are great for side content. But if those are the real reason I'm supposed to be here, I don't know why a story was included. So, Matt, yeah. I'll let you kind of go off of that. I mean, yeah, it's definitely not the strongest point of the game, the three main story so far, for just my experience. So, you know, after you join Constellation, you kind of get these uh, different new quests that you go to and explore these planets. And, I mean, the planets are well-designed, some of the ones I've visited with the with the primary cities that you'll be seeing most of the time. New Atlantis, I think, is gorgeous. Um it is kind of annoying how a lot of the sex, like a, a lot of new Atlantis is just basically fast traveling through the tram. Um, and what it's, uh, you don't, you don't even get to get like a nice little scene of you in the tram or riding it because that's what I expected from a game. That's, you know, next gen, it's just a, you know, it's a loading screen. And that's a, another problem that I actually have with this game is just the loading screens are, are constant, yeah. especially because you're going to be fast traveling a lot. Like, the, the game is not nearly as open as you may think and as open as, you know, Bethesda, Todd Howard made you think it was going to be. It's very contained, um, especially the story. The story is very contained as well because you're pretty much just going to revisit a lot of the same places that you've gone to and speak with new NPCs or prior NPCs that you've already met. Um, so far, I probably think I found about five of these artifacts. I don't know how many there are. I don't know exactly know, you know, what's going on with more to the story with that. I mean, I am going to keep playing it till I do beat it because that is something that I do want to do. I'm not going to invest over hundreds of hours like I've seen people on Twitter talk about. Um, games just lose my interest when they're just going on for so long like that. And I say that as someone who 100% of Assassin's Creed Valhalla, that yeah. game actually, I, I did lose interest in that, but just this, uh, I, I wanted to get all the achievements for it. <laughs> well, um, 
I think there's something to be said though that, and I think for anyone that's new listening to this or is just a, who, who likes Starfield and is listening to this, I think that it's important for a lot of y'all to realize that you know Kyle, myself, Matt, we all have full time jobs, you know, like for for all, and we also all have second jobs as well. We also all have secondary jobs as well. So it's not like we don't have just an endless amount of time to game. And while sure, for some people that maybe go to work for eight from eight to five and come home, they clock out and there's no real responsibilities beyond just stuff around the house. Um, sure, it's probably easy to sit there and spend five, four, five, six hours a night just playing Starfield. Um, for us, especially with Matt, your and my job are about as non-traditional as non-traditional jobs go. We both, oh, yeah. you work, your job is early in the morning and can oh, yeah. sometimes go relatively late at night. My mm-hmm. hours, especially during the school season, are all at night, basically. I'm home during the day. I work on stuff during the day. I work around the house during the day. Starfield is not an easy game to play a lot of when you work a lot like the like we all three of us do. It's really, really hard. So if you're wondering why we're not saying like, oh, well, 100 plus hours, that's great. Well, that's why, especially because in a podcast, we're also trying to stay current. We're all playing Lies of P right now. Me and Kyle are playing Mortal Kombat 1. There's a lot of games coming out. Back on the topic of Starfield, I think that while the exploration is great, Walk, being able to wander in a random direction and not really know what you're going to get. I think that's great. I love that concept. The one thing that we run into is, and there are going to be people that love this game that are going to really ball their fists up when I say this, a lot of these planets are really empty. And that is something that cannot be ignored. If you're going to have this many explorable planets, there's got to be something there other than just barren wasteland, other than just a grassy field on these more, you know, habitable planets or habitual. I don't really know how that, what the word there is. I'm inhabitable. I don't, I don't know what the word is there regardless. Um, Plans that planets that can sustain life. If it's just grassy fields, that gets kind of boring at a certain point. And sure you can find something cool, but it, I can't, I couldn't escape the fact that it just all felt empty. It doesn't help also, Matt, like you said, I don't love that Mm -hmm. in the big cities you're really just kind of going from zone to zone a lot of them aren't like fully open like you open a door to a new building and there's a loading screen screen. or (laughs) you you hop on the tram and there's a loading screen and it's like Um, it just it all feels very disjointed yeah, I do want to add to that as well when it comes to uh, the, the cities that they built is there's no in-game map. So I ended up going to a planet that was just basically nothing but some, you know, life. There was some there was some, uh, you know, alien life. There was some like fauna. And the problem was there's also some nauseous gas that I ended up walking over and I ended up having this impact to my lungs, which over time would cause my character to cough and I'd lose health. And if I was also, you know, if I had that condition and I was uh, going to an enemy base, I would cough and they would all know my location. So even if I was trying to play stealth, I would be like, oh, oh God, they know where I'm at because I'm here coughing like like crazy. Um, and I was like, so you can craft 
some stuff. Like I was trying to figure out how to craft the right uh, cure for it, but I didn't have the right materials because there's a lot of that in this game. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to Google it. I'm going to figure out where I need to go to in order to find a hospital. And there's a hospital in New Atlantis, but you have to go to the exact location. So there's three sub uh, areas in New Atlantis. And there's one that I had to go to, to find that hospital. I finally did. I was able to buy as many help X as I needed and and didn't get the cure for um, my, the lung damage that I had severe. suffered from um but when you when you make these cities and you don't really have a map it's just kind of annoying i know some people are talking about it like that you know it was it was a it was a good thing because just like yeah you just got to read the signs i'm like oh i'm reading the signs and i still don't know where i'm going it's like real life man and pokemon i read the sign i'm like oh i know that that's that route that i need to go to to get to that you know to get to that town like that's easy but not you know not the signs in this game i'm, I'm like I'm, I'm i'm lost sometimes i can't even find my ship <laughs> yeah like the whole lack of a map my thing there is to me it's just it's i think that the reasoning that i've seen most consistently is when you have all these maps you have all these or not all these maps all these planets it's hard to make specific one-to-one maps for each of these but my thing is like that's the you you knew the assignment like you kind of knew what you were getting into when you decided to make this game it just kind of feels like a corner was cut and because of that like not having a map it really kind of breaks that immersion you open them you open up where the map should be and it's just a bunch of dots just a bunch of dots in the terrain and i think that that's it's i don't want to just say that it's lazy and call it a day but it kind of is and on that note of laziness Let's talk about the space travel, because for a game that is emphasizing that aspect of, you know, this whole game, the space travel is very lackluster. It's as simple as going to the map. Here's the actual process, right? For anyone who's not played the game, here's what you have to do. You have to go to the map. You have to select your, you have to find the map, see where you're going, go to the mission menu, select your mission, chart your course, Press X again, and then press X a third time to fast travel. Yeah, I do want to add when you do get to the planet from the fast travel, you do get scanned, and then you have to reopen up the menu, go find go and uh, open up the planet, and then scroll around till you find a, a landing zone, and then fast travel on that landing zone. So there's even more. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just all very disjointed, and so here's kind of the kicker to all that is. Sure, if this was an, a foreign concept, I'd be like, you know what? That might have just been the best they could do. You know, but the problem is, and unfortunately for Starfield, it's not a foreign concept because I don't know if anyone's aware, but there was this little game that came out a few years ago called No Man's Sky. And in my opinion, that game does space exploration better on every level because, for one, it doesn't take you seven hours to fly from planet to planet. And then when you get there, eventually you don't just fly through the planet like you do in Starfield. Shout out out to Alana Pierce for, for I can't believe she sat there for seven (laughs) hours. Like she, she's doing the Lord's work. Okay. Listen, Alana Pierce is doing the Lord's work, finding that out. But um, it, you know, it's also the fact that to land, you don't actually fly into the atmosphere of the planet and then find a landing spot, you more or less just fast travel to it. And it just feels, I think Beat-Em-Ups, who again, a YouTuber that I'm very quite fond of, I may not always agree with his opinions, but I think that his his video on Starfield was a really excellent video and you should go check it out. 
I think that it, it's just it feels like corners were cut, especially when you emphasize in the marketing space exploration. You emphasize how much how big a part of the game this is. And then it ends up kind of just boiling down to just a bunch of menus. Now, there are going to be people that have listened to the Armored Core episode by now and who are going to say, well, Rusty, you raved about spending a lot of times in menus in that. And to that, I'd say, you're right. I did rave about that because that's completely different. That's customizing a mech. That's looking through statistics. That's making sense of a build that you're, you need to take into a mission, knowing what you're going up against and knowing how to better, how to best optimize what you need going into said mission. That was a really, really poorly worded sentence, but we got there eventually. Here, it just feels like, it feels like half the time I've played this game, I've spent in the menu and I would rather be flying a ship. I'd rather be getting into dogfights in space. I'd rather not be worried about fast traveling everywhere other than just walking for 10 minutes and getting there. And that is just kind of what it boiled down to. Now, the other thing is, and this is, again, a big part of the game, the combat, as much as I hate to say it because I thought it was fun early on, it feels very unevolved from Fallout 4. It feels very unevolved. It feels kind of like the same gunplay, the same kind of recoil. It feels like every weapon fires off very similarly. They're not all exactly the same one-to-one, but it feels like there's just not a lot of variety there. And that's a problem I have, is that the combat, I feel like, should have been great. Fallout 4's combat is really good, but that was in 2015. That was eight year going on eight years ago. It'll be eight years, I believe, in November. Um, it feels like the combat is not evolved, and that's a problem. And it's kind of a, a glaring thing with Bethesda, that their game, their game development style, like everything that they put in their games, it really hasn't evolved a lot. So, Matt, I don't know if you maybe have anything else you want to chime in on, or maybe I said something you might disagree with, or you want to emphasize more. Um, what are what are some more of your thoughts as far as just things this game maybe could have done a little bit better? Um, as far as what it could have done better, I think management of your inventory because it is really random. Like I even try to like sort it out because I'll just find myself um, carrying way too much, which is a staple in Bethesda games. You know, when you're over carrying your weight limit, you, you know, you're uh, when you're just simply walk, you can't run, you can't fast travel. So that's, that's not what I'm complaining about. It's item management. To be honest with you, it took me having to constantly give my partners, my, like my companions, some of the stuff I was holding eventually I found out that I can store this stuff on the ship because the game didn't tell me that. I think, I mean, uh, you, you would think, yeah, you have a ship. Maybe you should store your stuff. And for a while there, I was like in the cargo, just looking around, trying to find like, you know, a locker or a chest or something to put it in. But you have to open up the menu. You have to hit O to inventory, hit left bumper to switch over to, uh, to your ship inventory and then select items from your inventory and switch them over to the uh, ship inventory. I was like, I would have never thought about this unless I'd watched a YouTube video because, like, it, it should simply state because, you know, exploration, you're going to be doing a lot of walking, running around. And if, you know, you're, you know, this is a, this is a Bethesda game. There's a lot to pick up here. <laughs> like, I, I'm like the kind of person who sees a, a, a room and I'm just like, I could pick that up. Oh, I could pick that up. I could pick that up. You know what I mean? No, I think I'm, that's great too. I really I'm like that. Order. Yeah, I'm a hoarder in these games. People, I've seen videos of people just shoving a bunch of potatoes in the cargo on the ship. When they open the door to get to the cockpit, a bunch of potatoes just fell out. 
I'm like, well, I'm not that big of a hoarder, at least. I'm not hoarding a bunch of potatoes. <laughs> yeah, I will say that video, that video that I've seen of all the potatoes in yeah. that dude's airlock is really, really funny. Like, and there's things yeah. like that that I'm like, I see the potential of a game like this. I see a game yeah. here that at its best could be amazing. And, you know, there have been people that have said that for them it has been amazing. And I'm glad that they love the game. For me, I guess it just didn't do it. And I don't know if maybe... I don't really know what it is specifically. I just think that maybe just maybe us doing this podcast and kind of having to jump from game to game and not really being able to spend a lot of time on games. Maybe that contributes to part of it, but man, it I really had to motivate myself after a while to keep going back to this game. And again, I, I think that the main story, while it's intriguing and while there are interesting parts to it, I think that if that's why I'm bored, if that's why I'm not having a ton of fun, I think that that says more about the story than it does me, unfortunately. Because remember, I'm a big From Software fan, right? Like, From Software stories are not exactly in your face. You have to seek them out. But the thing is, they're intriguing enough that you want to seek them out. This, sure, I would love to know how it ends. And I'll be honest, I will keep Starfield downloaded so that that way when we have a lull, it might be a game I go back and revisit. I also want to revisit Death Stranding at some point because I need to finish that game. I'm 30 hours in and I haven't made any progress in months. But I don't know, man. Like this one, it just, it didn't grip me early and it I felt like I had to force myself to play it. Now, I said that I wasn't going to get all in on this, but I feel like something does need to be said about it. The discourse around the game online has not helped at all it's it's not helped in fact matt you heard from both me and kyle multiple times in the chat and i don't i don't know if maybe you felt the same i don't think you felt the same um if you did you never really voiced it to us that's the only reason i say that um it just man i was looking forward to it and i was excited for it and man the two extreme sides of this game is amazing or this game is shit and then just them just going back and forth the name calling twitter has been twitter's already a cesspool and this game's existence did not help it. It and it's nothing that it's not the game's fault. It's the two sides that are arguing about it. But that really killed a lot of my interest in the game, which is I got so sick of people arguing about the game. I was just one of those of if you're playing it, just shut the hell up and play it. If you love it, who cares what people think? And if you're not planning on playing the game and you have a PlayStation only, shut the hell up. Nobody cares. We do not care if you are not playing the game. Your opinion of the game does not matter. It's very, very simple there. So, Matt, I'm curious as to if you felt the same. I just felt like the dialogue around the game was just very exhausting. That was just me, though. Yeah, the discourse online about the game has very been exhausting, especially uh, when we got so far as people just freaking shitting on a game like Spider-Man 2 that's not even out yet. Like, that just game just went gold, but you got, like, the Xbox basically going after that. And then you got the ponies going after the fact that, you know, Starfield isn't this 90 on Metacritic. I mean, it's not. It was. I. I. I was one of those people that was hoping that it was going to be because I really did want there to be, you know, a solid game with with very solid reviews. And then like all the reviews that started coming out when Starfield, you know, released were like all these ten out of tens. And I was like, oh wow. But then you you look, you look at the name of the reviewers and they're pretty much just completely exclusively Xbox sites. So then you know IGN came out, gave it a seven. I mean, I think there's even a four for it. Um, I think that yeah. I I think I lean more towards a seven to be honest with you. Is it? I thought you said eight. I thought you said eight when we were talking about it. Uh, I think I changed my mind. I think I'm definitely on a seven really? now. 
We'll change yeah. your mind. I'm curious. Yeah, I think the more that I played it, and the more that I I realized that a lot of the the things I didn't like about it, the faults were outweighed more of the the pros. The cons weigh outweighed more of the pros. Yeah, the cons outweigh the pros. I think that's where okay. I just started to drop it by a point. Um, but I think a seven, it's perfectly fine, and a seven's not a bad score. There's a lot of not good games that got seven. I mean, there was a game way way back called God Hand IGN reviewed, gave it a four, and I played that game and I thought it was amazing. I gave that one an eight personally. So you know, it's not a game that everyone's going to agree on. That it's bad, that it's good. I think that, I think that it's exactly where it needs to be. I and I really do hope that it is a success for Microsoft because they really need it, especially with Xbox and all the delays that they had. And I really hope that you know I. I like I said, I do plan on playing through it and beating it, you know, eventually. But you know, are more games coming out, and I feel like that these games are going to be taking more of my time, and they're going to be better. You know what I mean? Like Spider-Man Two, absolutely cannot wait for that. Mario Wonder, Mario RPG, um, just to name Pikachu a few. Pikachu Returns. I mean, mm-hmm. just yeah, just to name a few. I'm, I'm just saying that it's it's not a bad game, but it's not one that you know I'm I'm looking forward to playing the next day after I, I play a couple of hours of it you know when i hop off i'm like oh man i can't wait to get back onto that one you know what i mean not like tears of the kingdom for me was that game yeah i i i I can agree with that i think tears of the kingdom i had that experience a lot more i think the same thing about armored core 6 i i Mm -hmm. i kept seeing so many people say that like oh my god i get off i go to bed and all i'm thinking about while i'm laying in bed is what i'm gonna do next on the game and i'm just like I don't know, man. While I was playing the game, I just kept thinking, man, I really wish I was playing Armored Core right now. <laughs> and that kind of shows because I platinumed Armored Core, a game that I didn't think I'd be able to platinum this year. And I did it within a month of release. So, I mean, it's, I think that that's a problem. I, I think that there's also a greater discussion here and maybe we could do a whole episode on this. I don't know. I think there, there is a whole episode's worth of content on Xbox and Microsoft specifically with things that have come out in the last 24 hours. Not going to get into that stuff yet. Um, I think that the big issue with this game is Starfield needed to be a hit. And it needed to be a hit across the board. Like, it needed to be the lowest score it was getting from some places. It needed to just be like an 8. And I think that the problem you run into is it scored very, very high early on. Had a lot of 9s. And that looked really, really good. And then IGN dropped their review, and it was a 7. And then GameSpot dropped their review, and it was a 7. And then GameRanks said that it was somewhere in that vein as well. I think they said 7.5. And And it was like, and I don't, if I'm wrong on that, forgive me, but I think it says something that the two biggest outlets that don't have a stake really in any of the big three of Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, it says something that when this game was getting a lot of 9s, I think we can agree the most unbiased parties came out and said, "Eh, it's closer to a seven for us. And then you look at the nines that the game got, and it was a bunch of Xbox-centered outlets. And again, I'm not accusing those places of bias. I don't think I have to for that to be clear, but you know, that's you kind of see why it got the scores it got. And then also, anyone that quotes Game Informer as a legitimate review source, um, Game Informer's owned by GameStop. They're never going to review a game poorly ever. So um, maybe don't rely on them to give you a good review. Um, as much as I hate relying on IGN and propping their review up, I thought their review of Starfield was very fair. And I thought Seven lined up with their critique. And I said that when we discussed their review. And I would set it a seven as well. I don't think it's a bad game. I don't think it's a masterpiece, but I certainly don't think it's bad. I think there's probably a really damn good game in there. 
unfortunately, it didn't grip me. And maybe when I play it on repeat visits, maybe I'll find that magic. Maybe it'll happen. But the topic that I want to say is, I think the bigger problem with Microsoft right now and Starfield, I was really hoping would fix this problem. Xbox doesn't have much of an identity right now. And I think that that's a real problem. And that's going to be a problem until they have that killer game that is worth buying an Xbox for. For some people, that's Starfield. I don't believe it is, personally. Objectively, I don't think it is. I think it's a game you can buy an Xbox for. But Matt, let me ask you right now. How many games currently exist on both PlayStation, on the PS5, and the Nintendo Switch that you would buy a system solely for? There's multiple. Oh my, oh my god, yeah. I mean, Tears of the Kingdom alone, or Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom together alone would be worth buying a Switch. Um, I mean, Ratchet and Clank, uh, God of War Ragnarok, you know, things like that are definitely worth having, you know, being a, you know, owning a PlayStation 5. I mean, they, they got their killer apps, and Nintendo has just been nonstop constantly releasing them, especially because we know that it's nearing the end of the Switch's uh, lifespan. And the PS5 is just getting started. I just wish Shoney would show more of what they're working on. You know, and that's the thing is you look at Nintendo, look at the year they've had, okay? Fire Emblem Engage was really, really good. Bayonetta Origins was really good. Metroid Prime Remastered is one of the best remasters in a long time. Uh, Kirby Return to Dreamland Deluxe followed that up and was another solid remaster. Then you add in Tears of the Kingdom, which I think might be the greatest game of all time on the Nintendo Switch, and it be, it's going, hint, hint, for our top 10 games of the year. It's going to place very, very highly in that list across the board. It's going to place very high on that list. Not sure where yet, because obviously I can't predict the future, but it's going to place very, very high. Then you look at what Nintendo's got coming with Super Mario Bros. Wonder, with Super Mario RPG Remake, Detective Pikachu Returns, the Pokemon Scarlet and Violet DLC dropped, which, by the way, me and Matt will be reviewing. We will be reviewing that in a later episode. We are we need to finish it first. We did catch our Mewtwo's, which I'm hella proud of. Yeah, um, we, did. we did do that. Um, but you look at that, just this year alone, I mean... There's two there's two titles, I think, at least in there that I could see somebody buying a Nintendo Switch for. Realistically, I think there are. And I and Pikmin, we forgot all about Pikmin 4 as well. Pikmin 4 was really damn good. And the thousand like, year war coming to Switch. Ooh. Yeah, like that's a heavy hitter. And then on the PlayStation side of things, I mean, shoot, last year spoke for itself with both God of War Ragnarok and Horizon Forbidden West. Two excellent games. That's not to factor in also Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, Returnal, Miles Morales, Demon Souls, uh, Deathloop was a timed exclusive for a year. I mean, that's not factoring in all of those as well. There's multiple reasons to invest in those ecosystems. And the problem right now with Xbox and what I'm hoping they figure out, they really need an identity. For the longest time, it was Master Chief. Halo Infinite crashed and burned. It's not a highly populated game anymore. Starfield should be around for a while, and if it goes the route of No Man's Sky and it gets consistent free updates, No Man's Sky did not review well at launch, and now it is a vastly different game. I hope the thing, same thing for Starfield. And if we come back to this episode in a year and Starfield is, is, is a lot better than what it was at this current point in time, I will be very, very happy that Xbox found their way with this game. So that is going to wrap up this episode of Side Mission. Be sure to check us out on on Twitter at Side Mission Pod. You can follow us as well on Facebook at Side Mission Podcast. For Matt Beck, for Kyle Lynch in the producer's chair, I'm Rusty Ellis. Thanks for listening. <laughs>